a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few, the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories. On this episode of We Happy Few, Senior Airman John Ellis talks about preparing for his first deployment and what he's doing to prepare his children for his time away. I chose the reserves because there's opportunities to commission um, through the Deserving Airman program. That went away about the time I got done with tech school. Um, and has come back recently and, um, you know, been modified, whatever. But the path to commission um, just hasn't worked out and never really presented itself. And I didn't want to go active duty and commission based on my master's degree. Because um, as a marriage and family therapist, almost no military branch acknowledges that they prefer social workers and psychologists. And my bachelor's degree, well, that was in communications. So, yeah, that's my name, Rank. And yeah, so, and so what is your job in the Air Force? So I chose um, Security Forces, which essentially is, um, well, we do a lot of things, protect, defend, and fight, but it's infantry for the Air Force. It's base security. It's nuclear security. Um, we protect protection one-level assets to, you know, numerous things. Um, policing, um, community policing, so, um, you know, I've driven a patrol car and had police training. I've been tasered. Um, so, you know, I chose that, not because there's a bonus attached to it, but I, I wanted um, real military infantry check training. We do expeditionary stuff, convoys, things like that. Um, I didn't want an admin job. I had those as a civilian. So um, I wanted the training. And uh, our unit does deploy. That's what we do. Um, we're, you know, all about readiness and you know deployment now uh, you're a little bit older than probably most of the e-force you work with or is that different because you're in the reserves you know what our particular unit at the 419th um yeah we have quite an age range i think and a lot of people that are educated a lot of police officers and electricians you name it we you know kind of a jack of all trades i think people there want to serve and they serve both as civilians and as, you know, military members. Um, but yeah, I'm old, <laughs> you know, I went to basic training at age 30, you know, and, uh, yeah, that was kind of rough on my body, but, uh, I'm, was more, I was capable of it. Did you find though that you were more uh, mentally prepared because you were older? Oh yeah. And I think I went in, I mean, there's still moments where I'm like, wow, I, 
can't believe I actually did this. But, um, no, I think I, I knew very much the why I was going in. I didn't need to go in. It was a conscious choice. Um, I wanted to follow suit based on my heritage, my grandfather's, my uncle's. Um, and I believe in the Constitution and the oath, and I believe in protecting those rights. And, uh, you know, I'm a patriot. And uh, if we don't serve, those will go away. There are real threats, and uh, someone has to do it. I think 1% of the population. And uh, I think my personality, and for whatever reason, it became a right thing for me at age 30. Coming out of uh, high school, um, I went and served an LDS mission. But I had many friends that I grew up playing high school baseball with even that died in Iraq. And for whatever reason, it never felt right to join. I tried to join military intelligence as a 45 Mike in the Army many times, and it never felt right. But uh, all of a sudden, I was driving down the road and uh, remembered that uh, an interview I had with the Air Force Reserves. And uh, I don't know. It felt right. What has been the the impact on your family from serving? I'll be honest, it uh, resulted in a divorce. Um, I think right now I'm preparing for deployment. I see the impact upon my children. I create a lot of stability and order. I'm a very present and involved father, and now I'll be absent. And although they have a great mother, right, um, they're in the beginning of being part of a step family. And uh, they're young, they're 10 and 7. So I think me joining the military and even being gone on basic training in tech school, even though they had health insurance, even though they'll have the GIB bill, like kids don't understand that. They take pride in me serving. They often tout that I have two jobs and I protect our country and all those things. And so there's happiness in it. Yet at the end of the day, it has come with a cost that I did not understand. Even at my age of 30 with a master's degree and I've counseled people as a marriage and family therapist, worked with veterans, helped people with very complex situations and problems, I didn't quite calculate the cost that it would come to serve. So how are you preparing your children for this upcoming deployment? You know, I'm glad you asked that question because the Air Force, and this is partly why I chose them, I think they are truly more family friendly and oriented. One, the deployments tend to be shorter, four to six months, not a year or 18 months. Um, I think every branch has its flaws, but uh, the Air Force has what's called the Yellow Ribbon Program. And uh, recently we went to Orlando, Florida, and our flights and hotel was paid for. And, you know, I did have a lot of expenditures, but me and my kids were able to step out of divorce, step out of day-to-day life, and fully focus on each other and be present and bond and prepare for separation. And we, we went deep sea fishing. Like I absolutely had the time of my life, created tons of memories with my kids and they know I love them. And we were able to talk about the hard things. And I think I take strategic moments daily, weekly to prepare them emotionally. Um, and I did that before I, uh, you know, went into basic. I think I have a little bit more of an edge because I taught, child development at Weaver State, like human development. I I worked with kids as a psychotherapist. So I think I do have an edge on like that knowledge base and helping them. But there's moments where I feel incompetent around it. But, uh, you know, I'm 
besides the yellow ribbon event, um, the briefings were great. The information they helped the kids during the caretaking, helped them kind of get ready for separation. I think it overall just prepared us to bond and know that that, that bond is still intact. And I think in general, I just I love them. I let them have their feelings about it. I talk to them on occasion about it, help them get the idea of what they can do. A lot of reassurance. And even Lucy, my daughter, she'll she'll start to reassure me that, you know, you got me to watch and we can text and you'll know where I'm at. And I'm going to write letters and you're going to write letters and we're going to talk. And, you know, and, you know, I know you love me. And so I think we're, you know, that that support between us of reassuring each other and, and knowing that I'm even though I'm gone. I'm still very much present in their lives. So what advice would you give as a parent that's preparing to deploy to, to, to other service members that are in a similar situation? You know, every situation is unique. I mean, I really do feel like a single parent. I mean, I have a great girlfriend and my mother um, is going to be my, you know, guardian for my children, power of attorney. I would say do the legal stuff. Take the time to set everything in order so that you can minimize the impact. Because when you leave, they, they are impacted and they will have to manage your affairs. And you don't want to have to worry about that and you want to make it easy on them. I'd also counsel parents that it really is an emotional thing. You have to deal with their emotions. And uh, you, you have to have the conversation multiple times with love, with empathy, and you have to be willing to coach them, teach them, you know, because they, they do, they get confused. And as much as they're resilient and, and kids have a lot of knowledge and can deal with a lot of things, they want you to help them with it. They need you to help them with it. And at the end of the day, I don't think anyone completely knows how to do it. So it really is about a process that you create together. And I think if you do that, that's where the resiliency forms. And that's where I think people can manage it, even with the loss or the sacrifice or the heartache or missing them. Or, you know, my daughter had severe separation anxiety during Yellow Ribbon, death grip on me for like 10 minutes for the first time in like eight years. And I'm like, wow. But I could tell she feared that separation and she knows it's coming. And so I sat there patiently, lovingly, and helped her. I think this is a great time to take a break and hear from the businesses that are making this podcast possible. If you support us and what we are doing, please support them. Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches. Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views. That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts. So do they, do your children understand that you're going to be in a dangerous situation? So this is the tricky part because even my 10 year old, like the information they get is just between friends at school, technology, like 
Like Eli was even worried about drones, and I have gotten training around drones and IDs and blah blah. And I had to correct him. I don't lie to my kids. I reframe some things, but I help them understand that my deployment is safe, right? Even though I'm in in a country that uh, is our ally and is in a part of the world that's not safe, and there's tensions with Iran and there's all these things. My kids don't need to fully understand that. So at their level, I help them comprehend what safety there is, confidence in my training, and that at the end of the day, I'm coming home. You know that uh, I'm going to do my job and that that I'm going to be there for them. You know, and that there's that hope, even though I know the reality that it could be dangerous. Well, being security forces, you are the front line. I mean, most of the bases that I ever served in, even though I was in the army, it was the Air Force guys that pulled security. And so, yeah, and you know, there might be a gate runner. Yeah, a third degree sunburn isn't the worst thing I might get over there. Anymore. A gate runner is just as dangerous, and doesn't matter why they ran the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, even if I'm doing basic sentry duty at the gate, checking ID cards, I'm armed up. Mm-hmm. I'm there to be a deterrent, and that makes me a target. Um, the threats are real, and uh, so yeah, I mean, I help my kids understand that, and Eli's gotten pretty creative. Sometimes I'm a pilot, sometimes, you know, I mean, there's there's all these sorts of things, but I think I've helped him understand what my job truly is and have confidence in my training that and that there is safety and there are protocols. Um, but there are some things that I leave out because it's not age appropriate. He doesn't need to know that when I go off base on a convoy, all the details that I have to do to mitigate risk for myself and my brother in arms. One day he'll understand that. So let's go back a little bit. What did you, what was your what was your parents' response when you said? And I'm only asking because I know your family. Yeah. What was your parents' response when when they said when when you said, "Hey, I'm going to join the Air Force at age 30"? You know, I don't quite recall their exact words, but they were supportive. I think my mom was definitely proud. Um, you know, both both my grandfathers on both sides served in World War II. Um, we, we have good family history that way, so she was proud. I think she was also concerned. I think she knew I was doing it as a means to supplement and provide mm-hmm. as much as follow you know, what was right for me and serve. Um, I think the deployment is what she's more concerned about. She never deployed a child. She was happy that I went on a Medias mission. Deployment, I think, is a different thing. Yeah. She has some anxiety. Um, and she's my primary support person and power of attorney and everything. And I think she's feeling that burden, not just the separation, right? But that her child, no matter how old I am, is going to put himself in harm's way so that other people can have freedom. So how do you help her? Well, we've gotten work done, you know, the Ellis family. That's what you do. You put things in order and you get things done. I think that alleviates some stress and anxiety. I think I've reassured her of my stability emotionally, spiritually, and as a father, and that I, you know, um, have accounted for everything, and that I'm well trained. And at the end of the day, I have faith and hope that, uh, you know, I'll be protected until my work upon the earth is done. How has your faith impacted your service? Um. You know, I'm not currently active in the church, um, but I am 
highly spiritual and religious and uh, I'm well versed in scripture and uh, how it's impacted my my service is that what you asked? Well, or your how has you yeah how has your faith impacted your service? Well, I, I I joined because I felt that it was a prompting from God, and this time I can ignore it. And for a year, like every week, every month, there was strong moments where I couldn't deny that I needed to do this, and I didn't know it would come at the cost of a divorce, which I didn't want and didn't plan on especially because of my religious beliefs and faith. Um, but I think for me, um, that's a hard question to answer without being too frank and biased um, about what I truly believe mm -hmm. about the world and where it's at. Um, but uh, I'm a humanist. I love humanity. But I'm definitely principled. And there is evil. And there are radicals in this world that seek to, to take away the agency of man. And, and I'm a person that believes in the agency of man. And uh, so that's something worth fighting for. And that's my faith. My faith is a knowledge and a hope in, in things that are true but not seen. And uh, it's about me honoring that inside of myself, for myself and others. As a man... My role is often to protect and provide, especially when I became a father. And that just doesn't stop at my children. That is for my family, my community, my country. And um, I believe that's what God made me to be. I can't deny my own character or how I was raised. Um, it didn't come from books or movies or even scripture. Um, it's something that's inherently a part of me. So what advice would you give to a fellow service member that was getting ready to leave children or not just what would you say hey being a little bit older being yeah. educated in some of the things that you've studied how would you help a young airman prepare for what he was about to face so surprisingly the air force of this yellow ribbon event they've extended what i would call a biopsychosocial model to even a spiritual model right not a three-legged stool but a four-legged stool and part of resiliency is spirituality and a man spoke, um, a force recon marine. And, you know, he's famous. He became an MRA fighter, and he told a story and uh, about PTSD and a lot of things. And uh, Mighty Oaks is a program they run. And, uh, you know, just thinking about that, like, at the end of the day, even what I treat, substance abuse, PTSD, and veterans, like, if there's not a spiritual component to your recovery, you're often not successful. And so any young airman, if you truly want to be resilient and go on a deployment, right, and experience the hardship that it is and, and be resilient and come back, not unscathed, because trust me, it does and it will change, right? And I haven't gone yet, but I have plenty of other experiences that tell me that things change you and they impact your life, would be to foster some form of spirituality, connection to yourself and others um, being present with life and the reality that really that it really is both happiness and sadness pain and pleasure and finding like some acceptance for that and preparing that mindset that mentality just like we do when we train and repetition after repetition so that when we clear a building right it's second nature that's the first advice is create resiliency before during and after your deployment 
And the things that really create resiliency, right, are the small things, um, some spirituality, some, you know, dealing with emotions, connection with friends, family, preparing, actively talking about things, communication. I think the only other thing I'd say is, you know, know the why. If you don't have the why, right, or you're just going because you're going to get hazard pay over there and you get to carry an M4 and you know you're going to come home and buy that great after-deployment truck or car. I'm sorry, man. Like, it's not about being mature or growing up. It's about recognizing what things really are and the worth and value that they are and respecting that. And it's not about being a zealot or a patriot in the sense of, you know, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to, you know, cure the world of evil either. Like, uh, I don't know. I think it's hard to answer those questions. Like, well, like what advice would you really give someone? Because at the end of the day, like, I would sit down and I would talk to you for hours. Because at the end of the day, like, there's no short A, B, C, D, E <laughs> answer to this. And you need more than yourself to do something like that. You know, and to serve your country and to do what's expected of you. You know, so... That would be my advice. Make use of your resources. Make use of those around you that are older, younger, that are wise, that can help you really make sense of what you need to do and accomplish and what it is. You know, don't don't live in denial. Don't pretend it's something that it's not. You know, I mean, you need to be prepared. And even then, even if you go into full proof plan and resiliency, right, well, plans change. And we're taught to adapt and overcome and, and trust your training. I mean, I, I'm full of advice. <laughs> so, so what is your way? What is my way? Right now is to keep my word, my commitment. Because honestly, my service did lose meaning for a time. Um, I think now the why is, is because that's who I am. I keep my word and I follow through with the things I believe in and the principles that are true. I believe in true and correct principles and then letting people govern themselves and how I'm going to govern myself is to follow through with the oath that I took. And even though it's come with sacrifice, even before I've deployed or, you know, I'm no war hero, but I'm also like, it's impacted my family and, and they deserve to see their father be a man of character and integrity and and to, to be who he is and to do what he says he's going to do and for them to benefit from it. Even if it is only two semesters of a GI Bill for each of them by the time I'm done and nothing else comes of it, they'll have a legacy of knowing who their father is, right? You know, and uh, that I stay true to myself and to them and to what we believe in. That's my why. I think there's meaning and purpose in that. You know, I, I'm not going over there to, to rid the world of ISIS. You know, I may just do base security, you know, and protect and defend and allow the larger scheme of things to create, you know, stability and freedom for America and, and the world. I don't know. I, I have my role and part in that. That's the why. I, I have a role and function in the larger system. And I'm going to fulfill that.
If you or any veteran you know is feeling self-destructive or suicidal, please don't hesitate to use the Veterans Crisis Line by either calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1 or by texting 838-255 or by visiting www.veteranscrisisline.net. This 24-7 confidential service is for all veterans, all service members, the National Guard and Reserve, their family members, and their friends. Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback and it helps grow our audience. We would like to thank our producer and editor, Josh Tilton, and our creative director, Amy Donaldson, for adding the spit and polish to our show. I'm Jason Comstock, and until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project.